0: <laughs> welcome back to the SNC podcast, everyone. I'm one of your hosts, uh, Coach Carly, and we got Maddie Scar, our other host here as well, and a new guest joining us today, uh, all the way from South Australia. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm bringing more South Aussie guys with us. We've got Nevin Untich <laughs> of, of D8 Training. How you doing, Nevin?
1: I'm great, thanks, definitely. Yeah, yeah
0: we're doing well, thanks. So um, we've we kept in contact quite a bit. Uh, over the last, well, it's been a couple of months since uh, I started ATG. I reckon it was back in February we first made contact through the um, yeah. ATG Pulse Telegram group. Uh, I think you reached out actually, didn't you? You, you were going through yeah. and you, you managed to, to find me out there. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey into to ATG because uh, it's a little bit different from like the coaching background you I mean you started off on I won't tell too much of your story but you started off a little bit different um, with the, your ATG journey so tell us a little bit more about how you got started as a coach
1: um, yeah, thank, yeah, thanks for having me on, Stefan and Matt. Um, and like you said, I was super excited when I saw there was someone else from Adelaide. <laughs> and I was like, oh, was gonna, just let me suss out this guy first, see if he's, he's, uh, he's, if he's okay, and then sure enough, you, you know, you live up to it. And It was fantastic to have someone, you know, we've got a decent-sized city here, but I wasn't expecting anyone else in, in the local area. And it's always great to have someone to bounce ideas because the ATG system is is different, in my opinion, you know, compared to a lot of other systems. And, um, and to answer your question, uh, you know, I think similar to you guys, a lot of my uh, battles were in with injuries in my initial younger years. And that kind of led me down the path to knees over toes. And and I think I actually originally heard about Ben, I think it was a a Jake tour podcast or there was another podcast that I listened to him, probably about two years ago. And as soon as I you know, sometimes when you hear something, it just really gravitates towards you. And then I was straight away, I jumped on his website had a bit of a look. And I think I signed up for his program later on that day, just because his message really resonated with me i had my knee issues i had you know and i wasn't able to you know ever overcome them um and then yeah one thing led to another and i basically jumped on that and um and then you know fast tracked along uh, atg for coaches came out and i knew that was for me as well so just jumped on that straight away and uh yeah here we are today
2: so hopefully that's the short version <laughs> of that so you never had the i think a lot of the coaches kind of had the uh, initial reaction of seeing them on social media and I remember specifically seeing him jumping off of a ladder and then doing some ridiculous things. Like this guy is a lunatic. Yeah. Like there's no way this is for real. But then you see it enough times, and eventually you kind of actually look deeper into it. Did you ever have that sort of a uh, sort of thought in your head, or did you just go straight in?
1: Nah, not really. Like for me, was like. It was more about his message and what he was saying, hey, these are the issues that I had, this is the path that I took, and I needed to to kind of take a step back and kind of, you know, almost rebuild and and build that bulletproof reserve. He never explained it that way in the past. Um, But it was really that message that came across to me that really gravitated towards me. And then as I started to look into it, I realized, hey, this guy can do some great athletic (laughs) feats. And and to be honest, to to be fair to him, probably two years ago, he didn't have the physique that he has now. So it wasn't as eye-catching, you know, as kind of that marketing and the glitz that he has now. Um, whereas before I, I looked at him and I was like, this guy just looks like a normal, normal be- human being, but look at these crazy things that he can do. And then obviously he had the great examples when he was young and he wasn't able to move that way. And I thought, hey, he's got something special here. Um, you know, What can I learn from this? Because my, one of my biggest challenge always was, hey, you gotta be bigger and you gotta be stronger. You gotta be more explosive we never looked at the other end of the pendulum there, you know, being able to absorb some of this force. And I think that's what, you know, that's what led to my injuries. You know, I'd make myself really strong, really explosive, but then something would go wrong. And then all of a sudden, I'd be back to the drawing board because I'd be rehabbing these things. And I would never spend the time required to actually do it properly, if that made sense, because I never had that at at the front of mind. Tell us
0: a little bit more about your injuries, Nevin. Like you, you, I think, um, from memory has something to do with, uh, with your knees from from what we've spoken about in the past. Yeah. But tell us a transition from, so you experienced all of these injuries and then what was the next step? I mean, obviously, football had slowed down a little bit for you after um, starting ATG, but what was the feel like? What was the transition like from previous to after um, starting ATG? Yeah.
1: Um, So majority of my injuries were kind of in my prime. So the biggest one was I did my ACL when I was 23, you know, so that's kind of in, in a way for me my prime uh that's when i was coming out you know hoping to, to take the next level become a professional soccer player here in australia and then something like that happens and you're out for 12 months you know and, it's, and it's, it was devastating it's obviously tough to rebound back from um, i always had a really good positive mindset hey i'm going to come back from this um and sure enough you know i was able to rehab and, and get my knee back to a, a decent state i'll say but i never really focused on that range and i never really had full f- flexibility or flexion in, you know in my knees so I wasn't able to sit on my heels as an example um until probably maybe in the last i'll say 12 months until i started incorporating a lot of what ben said you know focusing my couch stretch focusing my reverse nautics um focusing on that range because i was always led to believe oh you'll never get that range back um you know and it's something i never really focused on and um, you know, I think that was a big mistake on my part, not really focusing on that. But at the same time, I didn't have that knowledge back then. I didn't have someone like a Benny in my corner. I'd focus and, and look at your traditional, you know, rehab model. Um, you know, when you're squatting, sit back. You know, don't don't embrace that knee. Um, knee you know, uh, the knee compression. And um, and looking back, uh, you know, part of me leaning into this space was being there and you know, trying to kind of avoid that for some of the younger athletes who are coming up now and giving them an opportunity to kind of chase their dreams rather than all of a sudden
2: them being you know hurt when, when they're in their prime as well. So Yeah, I, I think that's something that a lot of people miss, especially coming back off of the injuries. So one of the, one of the things I like to kind of ask coaches is because we see a lot in ATG and a lot in other kind of coaching groups that some people can lean really, really hard into one set of ideas and then kind of shun everything else. Are there any other kind of ideas that you pull from other people mm-hmm. specifically that you like to add into the system
1: um i do you know a lot of the stuff when i when i was in my younger days i used to love you know and you guys i'm not sure actually if you guys know you obviously a little bit younger um but t nation i used to love you know so i'll say trolling <laughs> Teen Nation. there's some great articles there it's good to go back sometimes now and, and you know ben just actually recently came across you know there's some articles from charles poliquin Um, I used to always uh, jump on there and have a bit of a look, but that was the mindset back then. I was training like a bodybuilder or a powerlifter, not as an athlete, right? But my end goal was to be an athlete. And then I didn't have the tools at that point to realize, okay, well, these are, you know, I can take this component, but then I need to kind of apply it to this to become a better athlete. Um, So, you know, and then occasionally I'd I'd gravitate and somebody else would pop up like Joe DeFranco, you know, Joe DeFranco, I'm sure you guys know Joe. um, You know, Caldeeds later on and Chris Corfus, I really started to gravitate towards them as you know, as the marketing came out, and I was able to realise, hey, these guys are actually training athletes, I need to be training more like this. I think my challenge at that time was because I was so beat down by that point, that I still needed to kind of step back, because a lot of what these guys were showing was more, hey, this is how you get faster and stronger. But they weren't really, you know, educating us on hey, if you've already got some of these problems, you need to really focus on that and get those things fixed. Um, so I, I still love incorporating some of the things I you know, like the Joe has or, or Cal um, or Chris Corfus, you know, spring ankle, um, big fan of that. Even Dan mm-hmm. John, I really love what Dan John said, you know, I still do a lot of carries. I like carries both for my athletes, but also for general population. Um, because I just find they're very functional and they carry over uh, to a lot of other things. So, um, yeah, so if I had to probably name a couple, um, you know, carries are a big big, big one. Um, I like the spring ankle, the isometric side of things. Even, even Jake Tura, I've been toying around some of his things with some of my athletes in terms of, you know, the iso holds, um, especially for the ones that are coming in and their knees are a little bit, um, you know, a little bit sore initially, um, and then just getting them to slow down a little bit, whether it's holding some isometric or really doing some slow ex- eccentrics as well.
0: Let's elaborate a little bit more on uh, your athletes. So D8 training. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that all started? Um, what your direction is with that? Where you're going with that? How it's transformed? I mean, I've been to your little setup at uh, at home, and it's freaking awesome. Like when when I got a house and a garage that big, that's exactly what I'll be doing. And I'm sure that if Maddie <laughs> if Maddie was to see it too, <laughs> he, he'd get some pretty good ideas. But tell us a little bit more about. I've D8. seen
2: I've seen it on social media. It's really cool. Yeah. 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 Thank you, man. Um,
1: you know, for me, like I said, you know, I've come into this a little bit later in life. You know, I had a, a successful IT career and, and I loved IT and I always tell everyone I loved IT. IT. Was You know, for me, there was two things. I loved sports, I loved lifting and then I loved computers, you know, and IT. And, you know, and then at one point or another, I realized, hey, you know, you might not be able to take this sporting thing too far. You got to get serious with something else. So I focused on my IT and oh, I always still played soccer on the side as well. Uh, but there, there was that each. In, inside of me that was like, you know what? I always want to get into that strength field. I want to get into the fitness field. And then more recently, we decided to move from Melbourne to Adelaide. Um, and I knew that that was going to be a catalyst at some point, point, um, one point or another, that it was actually what I'm going to make the transition. And so when we were looking for a place, I was like, I'd love to have something in the back where I could start out of. Um, but it was a big challenge too, because my ego was, you know, get a big warehouse, start off big and then, but I also knew I didn't have the network, so you had to be able to do that. So I thought, hey, start, where can I start off small, make an impact, you know, grow my name, kind of almost add, grow my place. Um, and then, you know, look to move to a larger warehouse when I, you know, warehouse style gym, if you want to put it that way, when I've got the client base to actually fill, uh, you know, 50% of that capacity straight away from day one. Um, so for me, it was you know, a lot about logistics, how do I set this up in such a way that I can provide a great service to my clients, um, while at the same time you know, being profitable, being able to sustain my business and keep growing it over time. Um, so for me, you know, the, the vision before I, I kind of started DA training was uh, you know, all about athletes. It was like, hey, how do I help the younger version of me? How do so I make these silly mistakes that I made a long time ago? And, and make it cost effective, you know, affordable for them. Um, so I do both one to ones and group trainings, but not everybody can afford You know the premium service of a one to one, and I'm a big believer in in person. You know while I think online is great, I also think having a good coach who can adjust you on the spot there. It, you know that is for me it's um, invaluable in a way, and I think that's that's what you pay for. Um, so you know I wanted to make my services you know cost effective for the guy younger guys who might not be able to you know say uh, cover the one to ones. But they still wanted to be in part of a small group environment where they still get a lot of hands on coaching as well. And then, you know, feed off the energy from the other guys in the group as well. So for me, the you know the original vision was just train athletes, train athletes. But when I started to, you know, kind of put the plans together and how this is going to work, I realized that's only a small part of the group. You know, it's, it's, it's a small niche because, you know, when you think about it, if I'm targeting young athletes, you know, from 15 to 25, well, that's a small group of the population. Um, so who else can I help? And then you know, then I was like, well, I can just help everyday human, you know, everyday human beings in a way, you know, uh, our business woman, um, you know, businessmen, um, our busy mums, right? People that just want to change, whether it's their weight, whether it's the way they move, um, you know, or whether it's the, the way they feel about themselves. So I basically branched out and uh, kind of split them up between two different services: uh, an athlete group, and then what I call my general population group, and you know, that, that's everybody. I and mean, in the general population group, I'll have between fifteen and, and sixty years old um and, and they'll all do a generally a variation of some of the ATG movements you know whether it's it's a good morning or whether it's a squat you know whether it's assisted or whether it's progressed and they're holding weights so it's um and, and that's what I love about the ATG system is because you can regress to you know an entry-level person whether that's someone young or whether it's someone that's injured or we can progress them to someone that's a lot more advanced um as well so hopefully <laughs> that that answers a little bit of your question I kind of jumped around a little bit
2: Yeah. So that's, you alluded to this a little bit, but one of the things that ATG kind of believes heavily is that the, the scale of from rehab to elite performance is not linear, but it's, it's not super different. It's just levels and progressions and variations like that. So do you do how much do you kind of change things from athletes to general population, very different exercises, same exercises at different levels? How do you, how do you kind of differentiate that?
1: Um, probably the biggest difference between the athletes and the general population is with my athletes, I'll generally do like a, a lower body, a lower upper split. So, you know, on a Monday, they'll do lower body. On a, a Tuesday, they'll do an upper body. Um, and with them, you know, when we do lower body, because really that's as part of being a great athlete is we we'll probably invest majority of our energy in those lower body and you know either getting that bulletproof or getting that strong and more explosive so we'll probably spend 60 to 70 percent of our time in that region you know the hips and, and the legs um and then the upper body days you know I still want my athletes to be strong a lot of them are soccer players you know some are basketball and we also have um, AFL you know football here um as well and you know each one of those sports is a little bit of a different element in terms of how much strength they need in the upper body but I still focus on the lower body days, you know. And then if the client, you know, if some of the athletes can only come in two, three times a week, we'll work out a best schedule for them, depending on whether it's their off season or if they're in season. Um, so that's probably the biggest difference in terms of that. The, uh, that um, with my general population clients, it's always a, a full body day because majority of the time they will be only coming in two or three times a week, and I want them to hit kind of, you know, uh, I guess each of the different movements. So with general population, you know, it'll usually be lower. Uh, a lower body movement, an upper body movement, and then a mobilization of some type, whether it's a couch stretch or you know an elephant walk, just to get a little bit of that movement quality in as well. Because you know most of my clients are seated for you know eight, ten hour days, and they'll come to me. And yes, I want them to move, and I want them to feel like they've trained, but they've got to feel better as well when they leave. Um, and, and I think that's the other part of, of the general population. What I didn't really expect is you know you realize you you improve the quality of their life. So, you know, they may not have been able to pick up their kids because their back was hurting two months ago. All of a sudden, their kids, you know, run up to them, they can pick them up. And that's made a massive difference to that person's quality of life. It's not always about improving a number in the gym, you know. So uh, those are great too, don't get me wrong, but it's um, it's it's appreciating that, you know, these small wins that, that people have. David, yeah, if
0: you were to go back in time, uh, if time travel was, was an option, what, would, what piece of advice <laughs> or uh, what couple pieces of advice would you give yourself uh, in, the, in what you've learned in particular over probably the last 12 to 18, maybe 24 months um, with the training and, and ATG, what piece of advice would you give yourself?
1: Uh, I think focus on the long, yeah. long game, you know, focus on, you know think about a year, think about where I can be in two years time versus think about where I can be in this four week block, you know, can I increase my vertical by three, you know, three inches, 10 centimetres, whatever you want to put it. And I think that was always the mindset, you know, you gravitate towards this, the high end marketing, like, you know, Chris, you jump in 12 weeks. Yeah, I did. But then all of a sudden, my knees were hurting, my Achilles was hurting, because all those <laughs> people was jumping um you know and just thinking about that you know from a a long-term approach because ultimately that would lead you to to a better place anyway because you'd be able to continuously uh, improve your skill set or your athleticism um so just having that and I think you know at that age there is time you know even now we still have lots of time but we always felt like you know time's going to run out and and I think that was my mindset back then I just always thought hey time's against me I've got to if I'm going to make professional I've got to do it now Whereas you know you see cases all the time, you actually have plenty of opportunity. Um, you just, I think, if you do the right thing and stay on the stay on the field, you know that's the key. I think if you stay on the field, play as many games as you can. Ultimately, those skills come along, and if you can prove versatility as part of that, you know you'll be way. It's up like a conversation else.
0: we had last week, wasn't it, Matt, with uh, with Zach about um, the trainings and mm-hmm. you know all the all the young ones like Maddie, and Evan, You know they can just train and train and train. And
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. isn't that right, Maddie?
2: I yeah I did <laughs> trust me I did all of the put three week put three inches twelve inches whatever on your vertical in four weeks yeah. and I I never made it past the first week was the problem <laughs> <laughs> I I I I'd always come down with some ankle or a knee or a back or something so it's yeah that I think that's one of the most important things and you mentioned it a little bit um, do you see the gym and strength training and what you do primarily as a means to get athletes to stay on the field and then secondarily the athleticism gains will come or do you kind of see that going hand in hand or how does that kind of fit in your uh, your thought process
1: uh, i think it's a it's a bit of both because um, ultimately i still got to give them they need to see improvement they need to see the ability that hey i'm improving in here because some it depends on, on the individual yeah some of guys they don't care they don't care on the way they look they just want to be able to play their sport and then there's other guys that are coming in here and they like the way they look. They like to be able to lift more numbers. So they gravitate and they're more, I'll say, you know, have a really big passion for the gym. Um, and they want to see those numbers improve. But at the same time, if they're playing a sport and they're serious about it, I want them to be able to play as many games as they can. Because, you know, me being a, a, a good strength coach is not going to help their soccer ability. the end of day, They still need to be able to pass, still need to be able to shoot, need to be able to dribble. Um, so they need to work on their own skills. But if I can get them out on that pitch, playing week in, week out, you know, training week in, week out, I know they'll be a better um, soccer player. But all of a sudden, if I can add that engine on there as well, so now he's faster, that's ultimately going to be the best of both worlds. And then they'll buy into the system. And then so my goal is not to have someone here for four to six weeks. It's actually to keep them here for multiple years. And then to, for them to reach their ceiling and their potential where they could be as a great athlete, which would then hopefully translate to them being a great player for the, whatever sport it is that they do. So I think it's um I think it's both, um, you know. And wh- whenever I speak to coaches, it, you know, I uh, discuss it to them as in, hey, my goal is to get your players playing as many games as I can because I know you've got the best chance to to win your league or you know get your best team out there, uh, to have a really successful year. So a part of that is yes, keeping them on there, but then underlying, I still want them to perform, you know, and I want them to to look like an athlete too, you know. So I'm I'm big on trying to push them in terms of their nutrition and trying to take care of those things as well, because I know the confidence it'll bring them and, and you see it straight away. You see how the guys, when they first walk in, they are a bit shy, timid walking in two, three months later when they're lifting, you know, they're coming in with the short sleeves and then and they, you know, <laughs> and, and they feel good about themselves and there's nothing wrong with that. You now, when you get on that field, you want to feel confident, um, especially depending, you know, some of the more physical sports. If we sports take a, yeah,
2: well, I, long, buddy. Oh, I was just going to add in. Yeah. I, when I was playing, I absolutely felt the most confident when I could string the most games together in a row. When I was in and out, it was confidence was a real problem for me. But when I could get, and this was rare, but when I could get ten, twelve, fifteen games in a row, it was like I was, I, I was at the, I was always playing my best at the end of that run of games that I would play in any of the games. So I, I think that is super important to be able to keep people on the field. Never. Yeah. A hundred, yeah. Jump in, uh, hundred, yeah. Sorry, Um
1: Yeah, the, and, and I love what you said there, Matt, because I I, I totally agree with that. So one of the um uh, one of the biggest things is when I've ever whenever I've come back from an injury, I've always had at the back of my mind, can I get into this movement? Am I mm-hmm. going to hurt myself? And and that throws off your timing. You know, when when I've had my best games, you've always been in the flow. You haven't really been thinking about your movement because you're worried about the next sequence of play. And it, it just felt natural. Whereas whenever you come back from injury, there's always that little bit of a behind, you know, the back of your mind. It's like, okay, am I gonna be okay here? And you do that and you're basically already behind. Whereas, um, you know, like you said, if you can not have those thoughts in your mind, because you're just out there, you're just in the moment playing a sport, uh, it makes a massive difference to your performance.
0: Awesome. Nevin, I was gonna take a little detour, um, look at things from like a business perspective for the, for the next couple of minutes. How have you managed to, include uh, football teams, soccer teams, uh, basketball players, all that sort of stuff within your training. I know that we've had this chat before about reaching out to uh, to clubs and to coaches, but that next step um, is one thing that I've found in particular in, in Adelaide. Uh, it might just be in Adelaide. I mean, only I know that and we know that, but how have you managed to get players to make that next step or make that commitment towards actually getting into the training. Um, Obviously there's a certain, certain things that you do, but what have been the specific things that you've focused on in getting those players? Because you know, the benefits of what ATG does and there's obvious um, other people that do too, because they're training with you and myself and with Matt as well. But how have you found that? uh, Have you found that difficult? And if so, how have you overcome that as a challenge?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, And, you know, to Adelaide was was great because it allowed me the opportunity to do this, but it was also challenging because I didn't have established networks here. I hadn't played at some of these clubs that I had back in Melbourne. You know, walking into a club there is a lot easier because you know the people, you know the presidents, and you have a, established a relationship with them. Um, whereas here, I'm walking in cold, speaking to a president of a club or a senior coach who knows nothing about me. And it takes time, you know, it takes time to establish these things. Um, so a lot of the challenges I had was, well, yes, how do I get some of these, you know, young athletes in? So initially, you know, and I tried everything, I've, I've tried, you know, whether it's, I'll say a bit of marketing online, and I've had some success with that getting occasionally one or two athletes there. But for me, what I realized is it really is the long game, right? It's get one athlete, do a really good job because he'll refer you on, you know, he'll invite his friends or he'll, you know, he'll he'll, he'll, he'll mention it to somebody else. And then all of a sudden, you've got a referral source there as well. So I focused on that path. But I also went down the direct route to the coaches and the clubs because, I felt that that's a great way if you can tap into a club and build a good relationship with them, you know, you could obviously get multiple players in. But I also know that's a long game, too, because at the end of the day, when these clubs are getting giving you players, they're entrusting you with their athletes and you've got to do the right thing. So it's a matter of getting these guys, you know, one or two, whatever it may be, and then starting to build on that, you know. So when I was having chats with some of the, uh, the presidents at the coaches, they'll be like, well, who can we send you? So you know, I'm like, give me whoever you want. You know, if you've got somebody that's got an injury, well, we'll start with them, right? Because then we can establish that trust. Okay, I can at least get these guys back on the field. Or it could be someone that hey wants to do a little bit extra, uh, because there's a lot of guys out there that are going off to the local, you know, big box gym, and they're just doing what we did in a way. You know, they're reading their T Nation articles and they're training like a bodybuilder or a powerlifter. But reality is, that's not ultimately going to lead them, you know, they'll have some success initially, and they may look better in a t shirt, but they're probably not going to move that much better. Um, So it's, it's about getting some of these guys in. And the biggest challenge is, you know, selling someone on your value, because they need to experience it first. So my biggest goal was, how do I get them into the gym? So whatever it takes to get them into the gym, just so I can sell them on that, you know, to show them that experience, and then they can see the value. Because you explaining something to someone is is not really going to be not going to mean much to them until they experience it. So you know that was the biggest thing for me is how can I get some of these guys here. So I've always tried to gravitate towards you know if I can get a coach out here to bring one of his so I can illustrate to them what I do. That always worked really well because they could have, <clears throat> one see <season>, that you, know, <laughs> you know you know what you're talking about to extent. right? But you can see you can make changes there on the spot, whether it's just a little bit of mobility work or whether it's explaining to them that you know the reason we go to full depth. Um, you can get that, that value. And then all of a sudden, this coach will be able to, in his, in his head, he'll be able to pinpoint who needs it. He'll be able to say, okay, this person could benefit from this or I could use this next season. Um, so I think getting um, that buying from coaches or, you know, committee members, if you want to put it that way, or presidents is, is always a big one. So I always try to, you know, to take that little bit ne- next step further, I guess, just in the initial phases now, while I'm still growing my business, still kind of growing my name, um later on obviously I, I think that'll kind of in a way take care of itself that reputation but initially you've got to actually do you know you've got to roll the sleeves up and and there was a lot of no's you know there's there's a lot of no's where you get you know oh uh, we're okay we've got somebody else or we're not looking at anything this year and that's okay maybe the time's just not right now um you know but i always you know try to leave uh a, one a good impression but always have the ability to follow up you know whether it's six or 12 yeah. months time paul hum- well. mozi talks about it a lot
0: i know that we've spoken about him a lot maddie um I've listened to his book. Mm-hmm. I'm on the third, <laughs> the third round through on Audible at the moment. Alex Hormozzi's Hundred Million Dollar Offer, and he talks about so like the value. What are you giving for your for your offer? What are you offering to them, and how valuable is it to them? Because one thing that I realize a lot of people um, don't know, especially in Australia, is ATG is not as massive as what it is in the US at the moment. And so I think that myself and yourself, Nevin, we're on like that four, like the 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 start of it basically. And, um, it's like that, that point of difference, that massive point of difference where you're trying, no, you're trying, you're not a, you're not a commodity. Like you're not a personal trainer. You're not your regular gym. You're someone completely different and it is something completely different too. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there.
2: Uh, Yeah. One of the, one of the things you mentioned was, um, in, in Australia, the, in uh, in Adelaide and Melbourne is the, the gym culture isn't kind of the same thing as it is in the U S and that kind of reflects in the, the, size of ATG and the number of people working with it. Um, the, the old expression is that everything works until it doesn't. And some things don't work for very long and others work forever. Um, how, how have you kind of seen, or I guess, have you seen much of a change in the growth of let's, let's keep it to athletes, soccer players wanting to get into the gym, and then let's keep it just to soccer players because we know rugby is a little bit different with the with the physical requirements. How how have you seen that change, or what kind of kind of thoughts you have on that sort of gym culture?
1: Yeah, I think it's um I think it's becoming a little bit more mainstream, but we're still you know athletes still at the end of the day they think they they're going to play their sport, and then a lot of times that'll be enough. Um, and then they'll just be able to you know improve their speed and athleticism just by playing their sport, which we know they'll increase to an extent but reality is uh, unless we build that engine unless we build the, those muscles and those tissues to have the ability to provide that force output they're not going to have that um so it's i think it's slowly t- coming around but you know soccer specifically in my opinion I, I think there's kids out there that are off doing a little bit of their own they're the ones that will gravitate towards what we do especially when we bring them in here we realize and then we show them okay well leg press is probably not the only way we can actually build your lower body you know there's, there's better movements for that and, and I think sometimes, depending on the athletes, some athletes will really buy in and they'll want to know what movement is you know, going to benefit them. And then other guys will be like, oh, I don't really care. Just you do your thing. You, know? you tell me what to do and I'll, I'll come in, in there and do it sort of thing. Um, I, I do find that you know, we are getting a little bit more professional from an athletic training standpoint. You know, I think it's becoming a little bit more mainstream now. You, know, you see some of these bigger gyms popping up that are focused on athletic performance, right, which is fantastic because we need more of them, you know. One of my, my goals, and I think even from Steph as well, is to kind of elevate the performance and the athleticism of some of these younger players in these leagues um, because we're starting to see, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, guys are on their computers all the time. You know, fast food is such a, an ease for us. You know, so everyone's a little bit slower, a little bit fatter, I'll say. Um, so people don't have this naturalistic go and have a kick of a, of a ball and, you know, stay in good shape. So we really kind of got to bridge that gap in any way we can and get people to be more active and, and doing more. Um, I can I can well. definitely so, see that as
0: well, speaking from, you know, being in a similar position in terms of where we're, where we're living at the moment. Um, I just launched a six-week soccer body program with – so reached out to – I actually had Terry uh, who's moved over to, to Cumberland who you've had a chat with, Nevin, um, and he let me know that a lot of the reserve players after their uh, end-of-season meeting that they had were like – we want more strength and conditioning, and need more strength and conditioning. What can we do? And so Terry reached out to me. I reached out to the players, both in the A teams and the reserves. And as of now, in the, in the last week, we've got six signups uh, for for October, which is which is awesome because you can start to see that there's like that gravitate that gravitational pull towards wanting to do more of that, uh, I'll say, athletic training or that, you know, getting that actual proper soccer body training, which is really really cool. But it, it's almost like the kids need a. Um, a push because that intensity and being out to the the trainings the intensity not just from the coach because uh, the coaches tend to push that intensity but from the players in that 18s and reserves bracket it's it's not the same as what it was when i'm sure like when we played nevin um and uh, probably similar to yourself as well matt but playing in that that group, it's like the kids don't have that same enthusiasm or intensity to want to push training to get the results out of training. It's only until you reach that mm-hmm. senior level where you know you've got reserves and 18s, then jump to the senior level. It's a massive jump, and unless you're exceptional in 18s and reserves, that jump is going to be even bigger if you're not putting in that effort within yeah. training. So, it's it's kind of a question, but more of a of a comment. how How do you see that changing, Nevin, do you see it as like people like us helping out um, from the outside perspective for players to go and see, or do you see it as going to the clubs and being like, okay, listen, this is what needs to be done, this is how you can get more bang for your buck in training? What do you, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think it's a bit of both. You know, and a lot of the times at the moment with me, I always, you know, when I'm speaking with coaches, I always say, well, my service is supplementary to what you guys do, right? Uh, I'm, You know, I'm not going to help you guys from your skill set point of view, but I'll give you a better athlete. So I always encourage them to send athletes to me so it's completely different. They know when they're coming in here, we're focusing on strength. We're focusing on their movement quality. We're not focusing on on, on drills, if if you want to put it that way. Um, So I like that approach, but I think that's also, that might not always be the the best way because you might not be able to get somebody in you know for an extra you know a couple of hours in the gym so if, at the very least it'd be great to incorporate some of this on the field the challenge a lot of time coaches have is you know they're not in a professional environment they don't have these players five six times a week they might have that two or three times a week and they've got to be able to split up that workload between you know their skills and fundamentally playing their sport and then you know the, the strength and conditioning side you know from that and depending on the coach they don't always want that because if they've got a, a more of an a, i'll say an older school mentality they just want to focus on on ball drills um and te- t- uh, tactics. then you know that's going to be a harder sell so i always think kids that want to take it a bit more seriously they should be doing it outside all right we can all make priorities especially at that age i think we've got plenty of opportunity to do that we just got to make that time commitment and then they'll see it benefiting themselves in their sport um so i think the the long-term plays um get them you know doing it specifically in the gym they know it's completely different you know and work out your recovery and what you need to do whether it's you know start of the week um but in the short term if that's what we've got to do to open up their mind to what the benefit is for them then by all means yes let's get it in as part of their workouts if the coaches are, are willing to open open to that
2: so one of the things I struggled with was uh, sort of over over and over exerting myself because I I recognized the importance of the gym pretty early. I didn't know how to take advantage of it, but yeah. I recognized it. So I would train hard, whatever, five, six times a week. If it was the off-season, ten, whatever, times a week. Yeah. And then try to add the gym in with that. So how do, you, how do you sort of guide your athletes into not doing too much, but at times getting the minimum effective dose, and other times it's time to really go with it. So how do you... How do you help them through that? Yeah.
1: I think the challenge here is, and I love what Ben Clarafield says, you know, everything moves at the speed of trust. And I think that's so true, you know. So the first day an athlete walks into here, I'm not going to try to plan out his, you know, everything that he does outside of here. You know, my goal is to show him value in terms of what I can do with him. And, you know, if he's overtraining at that point, I think I've just got to kind of bite my lip a little bit and then just kind of get a bit of a sense for that. And then as, he start, as we start to see improvement, we start to delve down that hole and then guide him in the right direction. And, and I 100% agree with you, because a lot of guys are either training incorrectly or they're overtraining, they're doing too much. Sometimes they just need to relax a little bit. You know, We're coming to the end of off-season here, and I've got a lot, of, a lot of athletes, and they've just finished their season, but they want to be off it and doing their running and their jogging, um, where their seasons won't start for another 12 to 14 weeks. You know, And my recommendation is just relax, let things settle, Focus, you know, getting them strong because at the end of the day, the example I always use is, you know, you've got two ends of the pendulum, you've got explosiveness, strength, speed on one side, but then you've got, you know, long distance, slow tempo runs, if you want to put it, on the other end, you know, your body's not always going to know what you want it to adapt to, right? So it's going to be kind of, where do you want me to go? Whereas if we can just, you know, let those joints settle a little bit, focus on slowing things down here in the gym, getting strong, ironing out all those overused things that we had throughout the season, and then, you know, as the season's getting a little bit closer, okay, you want to start a little bit of preparation in terms of that? No problems. We'll do some extra running, but kind of work out their weekly um, weekly workload. And I think that's where the benefit we have as a coach is we've been there. We've made all those mistakes, and we know, you know, kind of the the right amount. Uh, now, each individual is different in terms of how much they can tolerate, but I think we've got to adjust to that rather than just bombarding them with it. So, you know, we, we do things, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks. If things are going well, okay, add in another session. Um, so I think having someone in their corner who can actually guide them on the best
2: approach and their total volume um, is really important. We were joking last week with Zach Woodward that sometimes <laughs> the the best session for an athlete is just to, Steph knows to bring him in and have him take a nap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were yeah. joking. This like that's it's some, sometimes that's the most beneficial thing, but like you would get laughed yeah. out of any any sort of reasonable strength and conditioning room yeah. like that. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent.
1: And but sometimes it's the other way. Sometimes it's, you know you need to get in here more. You know you need mm-hmm. to come in a little bit more focus on this, especially in the off season. This is now important. You're not doing anything else. Just focus on you know a couple of key things and get really good at them. And then you know then then kind of balance it out a little bit later on. So it's, I think you know and that's the benefit of a coach is generally we've got you know a lot more of the experience and we know what it is that they need at that time. It's so interesting um, because I've had a couple
0: yeah. of chats with. Uh, the under 18s and a few reserves players over the weekend and they had they've had a week off. But man, they look exhausted. Like they, they look physically fatigued, you know, like they're just they're being drummed with with so much. And I, I agree. It's like just take some time. You've got you've got a couple of weeks now where you can just, you know, flesh out and see how you're feeling, how your body's gone over the year, and then you can get back into it. And we can slowly work our way back into it. Again, building on the strength and 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 whatnot. So it's yeah. it's such an interesting topic because you don't want to take it too far, but then you don't want to take it like not far enough. Um, and I think that not that kids of today, Matt, you're just out of that that generation, but it feels like to me that... <laughs> oh,
2: thank it feels you. Like
0: <laughs> the kids of today, not that they're uh, afraid of hard work, but they might not know the difference between hard work and smart work. Like what is the the right thing to be doing? And it's the guidance that we spoke about. And, and you spoke about there, Nevin and Matt as well. It's like having someone that's able to guide you through the path because we have experienced that we've all experienced it before so we are able to help you on that path towards what you really want to do and where you really want to go with it so it's just a, just a comment in
1: there yeah and 100 i love what you said in terms of that because and, and you know it, it might come off like uh, we're picking on the younger generation now and we're not because to an extent they've grown up this way. You know, everything's so easily accessible to them. Well, if somebody doesn't work, we just move on to the next thing. Whereas, you know, I guess we're thinking back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't probably, everything wasn't as easily accessible. Mm. So sometimes we've just got to give them an opportunity. Because some of these young kids, they want it. They want to put in the work and they want to work hard. But they just need to be, you know, in a way shown, shown what they need to actually do and the best approach to doing that. Um, So it's not, you know, I think it's not always kind of labeling them as uh, all in the same boat. Because like I said, a lot of them just haven't had the opportunity to have that uh, understanding of what it takes to go to the next level. They just think everything comes <laughs> easy because I can pick up my phone and I can order it. It'll be here within a minute. That wasn't always
2: the case. Yeah, know. absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I, one of the things that I – so when Steph said – Steph was talking about working working smart versus working hard. And one of the things I, I always thought was like, well, all right, well, I can – I'll figure out the smart way and then I'll just do it a tonne. <laughs> It's like, well, that's not that's not really how it works. Part of working smart a lot of times is working really hard on a couple specific things because you nobody has the workload, the work capacity to work really hard on getting in shape, getting faster, improving your technical ability, and getting good at being in the game. And it's it's that kind of knowledge of being able to understand this is what we're going to spend this eight weeks on really going hard on this. And we're going to work on a little bit, of the other stuff, but we're going to use the other thing as supplementary and mm-hmm. lower the volume or the workload or whatever to the point that it doesn't detract from what our goal is here. And that's something that for me, it, even if I would have known all of the ATG principles and the spring ankle stuff and whatever, the West side, whatever. And I, I sort of had an idea about them. I it wouldn't have worked for me because I would have done too much of it. Like yeah. I, it was, I would have been like, all right, cool. I'm going to squat after <laughs> grass every day, heavy. And then I'm also going to yeah. do box squats. I'm going to do all say, like, all right, calm down. 17 year old Matthew. Like it's <laughs> like, it's, that's, yeah. that's almost more important in a lot of ways for, and we kind of alluded to, to some people, the most important message is actually do less. And then uh, you always have the people that it's like, all right, you're gonna kick them in the ass, like do some more. But for a lot of the people that I would imagine are kind of who would listen to us talking here and get an HG circle, doing less is a lot of a lot of the battle sometimes and really dialing yeah. in on what's important.
0: Nevin, I know you've got a class to get to, so we won't keep you uh, any longer. Where can uh, the SNC yeah. podcast listeners find you on the, on the socials?
1: Um, I probably don't do enough in the socials as much probably as I should, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, DA training on there on my website, DA training, I'm on Instagram a little bit. Um, I haven't been on for a little while, but, uh, I'll probably, as, uh, as we're getting out of winter now, I'll start to ramp things up a little bit and get out of my hibernation zone and uh, <laughs> the yeah, sun. Folks get a little bit more content out there. Uh, because it's been great. yeah, it's been, it's okay. You know, you, you, still get people coming up to you on Instagram and they're like, Oh, you know, I, I saw your stuff. I'd like to come in. So it, it is a great way to, to obviously attract clients. Um, it's just not a, not a passion for me. I love training people inside the gym. So anytime I can kind of get more people in, in there, I would prefer that. But at the end of the day, it's about getting that love message it. out there love and helping the people as we can. So Where can I find it?
2: Yeah. I'm at sport performance S K A A R performance on, uh, all of the fun sites, Instagram, YouTube to, uh, pride to step dismay and Brian's dismay. <laughs> I'm still on TikTok. So that's where you find just me the, what about you Steph? coach
0: carly with the three eyes the TikTok is gone i was looking at it the other day and i'm like i'm just deleting that and got rid of it so just on instagram putting all my attention there for now who knows maybe uh, maybe something might change um but nevin thank you so much for joining us this morning for us this afternoon for for matt um really looking forward to the next time that we speak and the next time that we catch up in person who knows maybe matt one time when you come down to adelaide all three of us can can get together and have a chat
1: yeah. Uh straight in the gym or work out in a chat awesome <laughs>
2: would be awesome
1: uh, th- thanks for having me on guys it was, it's always great to uh, catch up with like-minded people yeah. and a great way to start the week as well so appreciate it
2: yeah love it thanks for coming on and uh that's it for this week thanks everybody for listening and uh we'll catch you all next week